Good morning. Everybody doing well today? All right. Yeah, it is a it is a good morning, John. I agree with you. I mentioned. I remember you said that at the start here. This is like a this is a fall morning. You know that, folks. We are officially in fall now. When you get it, when you wake up and it's nice and cool and crisp outside, well, Southern California style, that is almost cool and crisp. Hey, uh, last Sunday, um, I uh, we had a special day as a church. Um, for those of you that were here, uh, you will recall that last Sunday we set it aside uh, as a special Sunday for prayer and for fasting. And we did that uh, because of the circumstances that were surrounding our nation. We, you know, we recognize when we open up the Bible that the ancient Israelites, they prayed and fasted when national times of significance were at stake. They prayed and they fasted when they knew that there was something of extraordinary significance about to take place. And we, in like fashion, uh, as a church family, we prayed and we fasted, uh, among other things, for, for our nation, for our, for our state, and also for our Haiti team and for, for their efforts. And now that we can look back on that last week, and now that the elections are over, uh, we look back on last Tuesday and, and undoubtedly we rejoice about some of the results and perhaps we show great apprehension about others. But I think we need to pause right now and recognize what God did in one very, very critical way. And that is that as we prayed as a church family, God last Tuesday through the vote of the people uh, preserved a biblical view of marriage not only in California but also in the state of Arizona and the state of Florida. And friends, I think that's a very, very, very significant thing. And I wanted to... uh, It's appropriate after having prayed and fasted about that issue, among others, I think it's appropriate right now that we pause and thank God for what He did in preserving marriage. So let's... Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize that You are on the throne. Father, we recognize that all the earth is in submission to You and to Your will. And Lord, we prayed as a community that You would protect the institution of marriage which You created. And Father, we thank You this day that we can look back and see Your hand of provision on that matter. Lord, I know that there are many, many opinions on this uh, difficult and hotly debated issue of marriage. But Lord, as our community recognizes, we need to be faithful to Your Word. And Your Word recognizes that marriage is between a man and a woman. And so Father, we thank You that You have preserved this. We pray, Lord, that You would continue to preserve Your truth. And that we as Christians, that we wouldn't just check a box in a vote but that now our marriages would show the world what they're supposed to be like. I pray that not only would we uh, seek to legislate morality, but that that we would live morality and that we would show people the way to a healthy and sound and biblically based marriage. Father, now, now it's our turn to show the world what marriage is all about. I pray that we would do that as Your Spirit guides us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, as I mentioned, uh, I think uh, many of us come today with uh, some mixed emotions from last week. I know some of us are, are joyful about some of the election results. We're joyful about some candidates that we voted for and that are now in office. We, we're joyful about some propositions that we voted for or against and, and maybe came to pass or, or not. And, and, and at the same time, some of us are very apprehensive. Some of us, um, we voted for candidates and for propositions and measures and, and we saw a lot of those things uh, not come as we might have expected. And now we, we look back and we, we have some apprehension about some of the candidates or some of the, some of the judges, some of the politicians that have been elected. But I want us to recognize, regardless of how you feel, some joyful, some apprehensive, some a mix, regardless of how you feel today about last Tuesday, there's something significant about what the Word of God says about government leaders. And Jesus, when He was interacting with Pilate, uh, as Pilate was questioning Him, Pilate said this to Jesus. He said, Then Pilate said to Jesus, Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you. And Jesus answered Pilate and said, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Paul, in like fashion, in Romans 13.1, when he's discussing the issue of government, he says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God. Joyful, apprehensive, a little of both. Take comfort in this. Every elected official, every politician, every judge was voted into office not merely by the will of the people. They were appointed by God. They were appointed by God. God allowed it. God permitted them to attain the power and the responsibility that they now have. And I think that, friends, I think that fact alone has to give us peace and has to give us comfort knowing that God is still in control of all of life's circumstances. Jesus says, You have no power over Me, Pilate. The only power that You have has been given to You. It's been bestowed Upon you. You know, the newly elected president, the newly elected members of Congress, state officials, and judges, um, I, they have a lot of responsibility on their hands, I think. Uh, we are in a precarious moment in our nation's history. And I don't envy, I don't envy the task that is before our leaders. But today, we're not going to discuss their tasks and responsibilities. We're not going to discuss the role that they have toward us. Today I want, to, I want us to consider as a church family the tasks and responsibilities that each of us have as citizens under their leadership. Today I want us to get very, very practical. I want us to open up God's Word and ask the question, what, what should Christians do for our government leaders? How should Christians act toward them? What does the Bible teach about citizenship and interacting with authorities? 
The title of my message today is Biblical Citizenship. How are Christians to interact with those in authority? Biblical citizenship. How are Christians to interact with those in authority? And friends, this is a, this is a very practical question, as I said. There's, there's, th- th- this is a topical study. Uh, which, uh, you know, for our purposes on Sundays, you know, usually we, we go verse by verse, but today we're going to go through a topic of Scripture. And we're going to ask the question, what is biblical citizenship? What does it mean to come under the leadership of a governing authority? What is our role toward them? How are we to dialogue with them, interact with them? What does that look like? And believe it or not, the Word of God has a lot to say about this issue. It has a lot to say about being a, coming under the leadership of a governing authority. And regardless of how we may feel about some governing authorities, or regardless how we may feel about all governing authorities, when the Bible asks of us to submit to their leadership, we as a community need to pay attention to it. We must soften our hearts to the Word of God. We must obey its precepts. And we must find a biblical way to interact with our government officials. I want you to join me in prayer again as we ask God to show us how we can interact with our newly appointed officials. Will you pray with me again? Heavenly Father, Lord, the task that is before us is is one that is clear. We want to open up Your Word and we want You to show us how it is that we as Christians are to interact with our authorities. We know, Lord, right from the start that no authority, no official has the power that they have apart from You. And now, Lord, we ask that You would show us how to relate to them, how to dialogue with them, how to come under their leadership as Christians. pray that Your Word would be clear on this matter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, I'm asking the question, how are Christians to interact with those in authority? Turn your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And if you, if you, uh, if you want, you can also follow along at the, with the text up on the screen. But in 1 Timothy 2, uh, we see Paul talking to Timothy. And he's giving advice to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is, is turning to his young pastor that he is mentoring in the faith and he's he's giving him now advice for prayers that are to be lifted up for all people including kings take a look at what it says in first timothy 2 paul says this therefore i exhort first of all that supplications prayers intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all those who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. How are Christians to interact with those in authority? First and foremost, we are to pray for them. We are to pray for them. We are to petition God, and you can follow along on your outline here, we are to petition God to save them, to bless them, to supply their needs. And we're to praise God when their leadership brings peace and righteousness. 
If you notice back in the text, it, 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 verse 1, it says, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, supplications means to come before God to entreat Him on behalf of someone else. That supplications, prayers, intercessions, interceding between the one who has the need and the God who can give the need. And giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all those who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives. Friends, we are to pray for, to petition God, to bless, to save, to supply the needs of our elected officials. I think it's easy for us uh, to pray for those who, whom we voted for, right? That's, that's a pretty easy one. Uh, it's easy to, vote for the, to pray for the congressman or the president who you voted for. It's certainly not easy to pray for the congressman or the president who you didn't vote for. But the Bible really isn't giving that as a caveat, is it? We are to pray earnestly for our elected officials. Um, I... We, we as a church family are going to commit to doing this. You'll notice on the top of the prayer and, prayer and praise, if you look at the top, the first thing it says is pray for our president. Pray for our elected officials. Friends, we for the next four years are going to pray fervently as a community for President-elect Barack Obama. We're going to pray fervently for him. We're going to name him by name and his family. We're going to ask God to bless him, to be with him, to give him great wisdom and judgment to help him to conform to the patterns of what biblical leadership would look like. We're going to do that as a community. And I'm asking all of you to pray for your president. Pray for our congressmen and women. Pray for our judges. Secondly, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this also in Titus 3. He says, remind them, remind those in your church that is, to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey and be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing humility to all men. What principle can we derive from this? Well, a second principle, that how we are to interact with our governing authorities, we are to obey and submit to them in a spirit of peace and humility. You know, Paul also mentioned this in Romans 13.1. He says, be subject to the governing authorities because they've been appointed by God. We are to obey. We are to submit. That is to say, we are to subject ourselves. We are to be subordinate to. We are to come under the leadership of. We are to recognize them as over us. And we're to obey them. We're to be sure that we are coming under their leadership and their law. This is a difficult one, I know, for some of us. Especially, again, once again, when, when we... Uh, if, if we begin to disagree with some of their leadership, some of their patterns, some of their styles, we, we might find it more difficult to subject ourselves to them. But friends, the Scriptures are pretty clear here. We're to obey our authorities. We're to respect them. This includes paying your taxes. You know, Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar. A third principle. A third principle. And this comes in the form of three passages that I've combined together. It brings out a point. It says this in First Peter Chapter 2 says, honor all, people, honor all people, Peter says, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Also, King Solomon in Proverbs. My son, fear the Lord and the king 
And do not join with those who do otherwise. And here's a peculiar passage in Ecclesiastes. Do not curse the king, Solomon says. Do not curse the king. Do not curse the rich. Even in your bedroom, for a bird of the air may carry your voice, a bird in flight may tell the matter. Now, the, the, the bird there is, is uh, you know, indicative of, of people might hear your cursing. They might hear your disgruntling. And uh, you might find yourselves in trouble with authorities as a result of your grumbling, as a result of your complaining. You might find yourself at odds with the authorities, whether they be local or state or national leaders. Friends, we're to keep a closed mouth. We're to show restraint. The principle that, that's coming forth out of this, these three passages is this. Do not speak ill. Do not speak ill of or denigrate those in authority but honor them as God's appointed officials. Don't speak ill of them. Don't denigrate their, their name, but show them honor. Um, I, know, I, I know personally I've been guilty of this one. Um, I know that I have probably wrongly slandered elected officials, and that's, 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 that's a problem that I need to deal with. And I would ask each of you, consider in your own life, you know, when I speak of my elected officials, is it, is, there just, is, is it filled with sarcasm and a mocking and a belittling tone? Or am I honoring them? Am I respecting them? Am I showing them the kind of respect and honor that they deserve that God asks me to show them? Or when I speak about them in conversations, do I just constantly chastise them, mock them? Speak ill of them. Wish ill of them. Friends, that's, that's just not appropriate for a Christian. It's just not appropriate. And we are better to not have voted for someone and yet to continue to show honor and respect toward them. We are better for that. Um, you know, the, uh, I... I I bring out the example of um, of what happened in the last in the last election in California. Um, Proposition eight was a big deal. Preservation of marriage was a big deal. I know people landed on both sides of the issues, um, but one thing that concerns me greatly is uh, for the for the vast for uh, for many of those who were opposed to. That proposition, um, and for some that were in favor of it, both sides, not just one side, both sides, those both opposed to it and those in favor of it, they would rip up the signs of each other, and they would slash them up and they'd put markers in front of them, and we saw literally we saw like we saw a war with with these 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 yes on prop eight, no on prop eight. People were taking them left and right. On both sides of the of the issue, and yet both sides are claiming tolerance, aren't they? Both sides are claiming to tolerate one another. Friends, if we are truly claiming to to tolerate one another, and to be respectful, and to be open and permissive of other opinions, then when we don't agree with an elected official, we will not speak ill of them. We will not belittle them. We will not mock them. We will show the world what it means to not have voted for someone and yet still to maintain our integrity.
That's important, friends. That's important. At the onset of our study, we looked at uh, Romans 13, verse 1. And in it, Paul mentions that we are to be subject to the governing authorities. But notice the harsh criticism that Paul has for the persons who fail to respect and honor their government leaders. Notice what it says in Romans 13. It says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Harsh criticism, Paul has, for those who would resist the governing authority. The word resist there means to oppose, means to withstand. The Bible is very, very clear here, friends. God's judgment, His judgment, awaits the person who resists the governing authorities. Of course, this begs the question, what does it mean? to resist the government, government, governing authorities. What does that look like? What does it mean to resist the government authorities? Does it mean a Christian should never resist a government official's decision? Does it mean that this prohibition of resistance is more case-specific under certain circumstances? Yeah, I want to focus here for just a moment on what is the nature of the resistance that Paul speaks of in Romans 13.2? I think it's a critical, critical question. What is the nature of the resistance that Paul speaks of in Romans 13.2? What does he mean by that? Should we never resist government officials? Or are there times in which we should? What is Paul saying? And as always, friends, it's important, it's, it's critical to consider the context of Paul's words before making any judgment on a passage of Scripture. As it turns out, the following two verses in Romans 13 go on to explain what kind of political resistance that the Scriptures prohibit. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. Paul goes on to say, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil works. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same, for He is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain, for He is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on Him who practices evil. I've highlighted this for you. Uh, these, These three phrases here. Evil works, do evil, practices evil. Three times in verses 3 and 4, Paul refers to the practice, the practice of evil works and suggests that performing evil works will bring about wrath or punishment from a governing authority. Friends, based on this repetition, Paul is making it clear that the kind of political resistance that is prohibited by God is malevolent resistance. It is resistance that is filled with wrath, spitefulness, and malicious intent. It is resistance that expresses itself in evil works. That is the kind of resistance that the Scriptures are opposed to. 
Therefore, when Paul says, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, we might better understand Paul's intent to mean, never resist the king out of a hateful or out of a malicious heart or actions. Our principle four here, out of these seven principles today, on how to interact with authority, do not resist them by resorting to any evil or sinful practice. That is the nature of the resistance in Romans 13.2. And I can't tell you how important it is to understand that. Because you see, friends, a lot of, some well-meaning Christians, well-meaning people who read the Bible and are not paying attention to its context, might get the impression that if Paul says never resist the authority, then never resist the authority. They might take Paul's words at face value, literally, without having read verses 3 and verse 4. And they might say, hey, if, if he says here in verse 2, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, well, by implication, we're never to resist the authority. But is that the biblical perspective? Does the Bible ever speak of a time to question or to, or to disobey those in authority? To that I say, you bet it does. You bet it does. Here's one such example. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were proselytizing. They were evangelizing in their communities. And they were brought in by the Jewish governing authorities. And this is what was said. And they, the Jewish religious leaders, called them, Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The authorities commanded them. They commanded them. Those over Peter and John commanded them, ordered them, mandated that they refuse to teach or speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John looked upon that mandate and looked upon that authority. They looked upon their governing authorities and their religious leaders in their community and they said, I'm sorry, we can't do that. We can't obey that command. They looked upon their governing authorities and they said, we must resist this command. In light of this example in Acts 4, and there are others in the Scriptures, we can be sure that Paul is not telling us in Romans 13.2 that we are to never, ever, under any circumstances, resist the governing authorities. Friends, that's not the case. Instead, Paul is advising us not to resist them in an attitude or with actions that are filled with evil or malicious intent. But to be clear, the Scriptures do indicate there is a time to resist. There is a time to resist the state. To resist the God-appointed governing authorities. I want to emphasize that these times are rare. We need to be very deliberate about when these times occur. In fact, uh, one, such, uh, one such appropriate figure to speak to this issue would be King Solomon. 
And there, King Solomon, he, he, he spoke to this issue of resisting the king. And notice what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Notice the hesitancy with which he speaks these words. Solomon says, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty. That is, don't, don't be quick to go from his presence to abandon him. Do not take your stand, neither take your stand in an evil thing, for the king does whatever pleases him. Where the word of the king is, there is power. And who may say to them, what are you doing? He who keeps the king's command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. Now you might be going, okay, there's some terminology there I don't totally understand. Let's break it down. King Solomon's saying three things right off the bat in the first two verses. He's saying this, number one, obey the king. Number two, be slow to abandon the king. Don't be hasty to leave his presence. Don't be hasty to, to lay aside, to, to resist, to, to set aside his authority. But three, but also never stand for an evil thing. Never stand for an evil thing. Whether it's a wrongful coup of the king, or whether it's the king's authority that exudes evil. This is a powerful text, friends. This is a powerful text. Solomon goes on to say that a wise man's heart, I highlighted it here, a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Now, scholars of all stripes have some different interpretations of this passage right here. They're not quite sure. There's some disagreement as to what it is that the man is to discern both the time and the judgment of. They're not sure what the precise nature of this comment is. But I say, in light of verse 3, in light of verse 3 of chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, it seems clear to me that a wise person carefully and cautiously selects moments to oppose, to resist the governing authorities. A wise man shows great prudence before making judgments that are in opposition to the governing authorities. William MacDonald agrees with that interpretation in the Believer's Bible Commentary. He goes on to say this. He says, Wisdom teaches a person what is appropriate, both as to time and procedure, judgment, in obeying the royal edicts. There's a right and wrong way of doing things, and a right and a wrong time as well. The trouble lies, the trouble that lies heavy upon man is that he cannot always discern these moments of destiny. Uh, the last sentence is really well said. Friends, he, 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 William MacDonald here is, is perfectly expressing the tone of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. King Solomon is saying, don't leave him quickly. Don't abandon the king quickly. But neither stand for an evil thing. Think very long and hard about when and where you will stick your stake in the ground in opposition. Think very long and hard about it. I want to bring out uh, this principle here. This is the longest one of the day here. As I put it together, I, I, I think this principle exudes from Ecclesiastes 8. Tread carefully when considering times to resist God's appointed authorities. Resistance is only permissible, 
on the grounds that the authority is undoubtedly disobeying God. A hastily contrived resistance could bring God's judgment upon the citizen rather than the authority. And that, that comes from Romans 13 too, right? Judgment awaits those who resist the authority wrongfully. Um, this is really important to me up here. For me, this is the most important principle of, of our time today. I know many of you um, are at odds with politicians, with elected officials. I know I am. Um, there are certainly things I disagree with um, in the policies of our coming president. Certainly things that I disagree with. There are all these other things that I do agree with. Um, but friends, we need to show excessive prudence when we stick our stake in the ground and say we will resist this policy or this decision or this law. God says, don't be hasty to leave the king, but neither stand for an evil thing. Know when the time is right to show that opposition, to show that resistance. And if you're wrong, if you're wrong, and if it's not undoubtedly clear, undoubtedly, I'm speaking, I'm, well, let's use a judicial term here, alright? This is, this is not just clear and convincing evidence in court. This is evidence that is beyond a reasonable doubt. That the king is disobeying the word of God. Until you can say that about a president's or a congressman's or a county official's decision, until you can say that undoubtedly they are disobeying God here, you must show respect and honor to them. You must come under their leadership and be subject, be subject to what they have to say. We need to be excessively sure when resisting the authority that they are in fact disobeying God. And if we're not excessively sure, we need to tread lightly. As I said, though, I, I don't want to uh, highlight this idea of persistence. That's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message is not to, not to spur us all on to find ways to resist our authorities. That's just not the purpose of it. In fact, just the opposite is the case. We, we're, to look, we're, we're to give the benefit of the doubt to our leaders. That's, that's what really Ecclesiastes 8 is saying. Don't leave the king hastily. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Give our elected officials the benefit of the doubt. Come under their leadership. Don't look. Don't seek to resist them. Let resistance always be something that, 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 that comes to us, not something that we seek out. Something that a policy is made and we can see clearly after having read it, after having understood it, that it clearly disobeys God. Let those be the times we resist. Not, not us seeking out how can we resist this king, this president, this congressman or woman. This is not to be the norm. Uh, instead, you know, we, we are to be proactive in offering our encouragement to kings and officials. We're to be proactive in offering biblical counsel as they consider their decisions. And this next passage, this next passage, item six here, is not written, admittedly, with a view to governing authorities. In fact, it's written with a view to church leaders. But I think the principles within it carry over to our government authorities. And it is this, 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, Paul says to Timothy again, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Friends, the sixth principle that comes from this admonition to church leaders is that we are to offer our governing leaders biblical counsel. We're to do it in a spirit of gentleness and humility. We're to offer counsel in matters where their policies or decisions are in opposition to the Scriptures. Um, I take this matter also very seriously. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing to, to resist an authority. It's another thing to, to explain to them, to, to write them a letter, to send them an email, to give a phone call, and to explain to them your position, your, your biblical position on a matter. And to do so with humility, with gentleness, with respect. Um, I intend uh, to write my new president a letter on the issue of abortion. I intend for that letter to be uh, very respectful and I'm just going to ask him as humbly and as gently as I can that he would honor the life of the unborn. I'm going to ask him and others in authority that are around me to, to, to protect this issue that is near and dear to my heart. But we're to correct an op- we're to correct in humility. The letter isn't to be a scathing rebuke. It's not to be it's not to be pompous or arrogant. It's to show that I'm subordinating myself to my governing authority even as I offer him or her some counsel, some advice. And finally, our final principle comes from Hebrews 12 verses 14 and 15. The author of Hebrews says this, pursue peace with all people, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You know, the the word bitterness there I think is appropriate because I I think it's often the case that we have have an attitude of bitterness toward our authorities. We have an attitude of of stubbornness, hard-heartedness toward them. Scriptures say, hey, Pursue peace with all people. All people. Be holy. Without these things, without a, a, a spirit of peace and holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. They're not going to see those who are in opposition to you, those, those who might stand opposed to your principles and what you believe is, is true and right according to the Word of God. They're not going to see the Lord if you're resisting them with hate with violence, with correcting them with arrogance and with disdain. We're not to let bitterness spring up. Principle number seven, live peaceful and holy lives that God's presence would be magnified on the earth. Live peaceful and holy lives that God's presence would be magnified on the earth. In the nation of Israel, uh, turn to Jeremiah 29 briefly. I wanted, I wanted to show this to us. I had exited out of the sermon and now I'm bringing it back in. Jeremiah 29. Center your Bibles here. Jeremiah 29. 
It's not up on the screen, so you've got to turn there. Uh, I, think, I think many of us, we look at our, look at our environment, look at our, our governing authorities, our economy, and we're thinking, wow, you know, this, is, this is a tough time. It's a really difficult time in our nation's history. What would God have us do in the midst of such tremendous circumstances? We have uh, some, some, some apprehension about the future. And, and our, our economy is not looking very strong. It, it seems that there's a lot of factors going against us. In Jeremiah 29, everything was going against the people of Israel. Everything. Babylon had come. They had ransacked Jerusalem in 586 B.C. They had taken Israel captive to Babylon. Israel were slaves in that nation. They were undergoing intense political pressure. They were in a hostile environment. They weren't able to to freely worship. They were in pagan territory. They had everything against them. And yet these were the words that God gave to Jeremiah the prophet to give to the people of Israel. Verse 4 of chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, here's my advice. Build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Verse 7, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. That's, that's wild advice. You're enslaved. You've been taken away from your homeland. You can't freely worship. You can't even make a decent living. You're in the most hostile environment ever. And here's God's advice to the people of Israel. He says, hey, build your houses. Work hard. Preserve your families. Give your sons and daughters. Bring protection to your families in that sense. In that day and age, a larger family brought protection. And seek the peace of the city that captured you. Seek the peace of the city that is hostile toward you. Seek the peace of the governing authorities who picked you up out of your land and took you to a land of exile. Seek the peace of that city. Because if you have peace, if that city has peace, you too will have peace. Uh, friends, I think that's great counsel for our, time, our day and age. Um, I know many of you feel a little bit strapped. You feel that you might be in a hostile environment. You're looking at the, your pocketbook and your economy and you're worried about the future of our nation. Friends, work hard, preserve your family, and be content with a peaceful existence in this nation. Those are good and precious things that God offers to us as blessings. And let us, let us lay hold of those. And let us be content with those. Keep our nose to the grind. And let the, let the cards come, let, let, let whatever happens come what may. You know, we began this study asking ourselves, what 
is biblical citizenship. That was the title. Biblical citizenship, how are Christians to act, to interact with those in authority? And we came up with seven things briefly to review. We're to pray for them. We're to petition God to save them, bless them, supply their needs. Praise God when their leadership brings peace and righteousness. Two, we're to obey and submit to them in a spirit of peace and humility. Three, we're not to speak evil of them. Never. We're never to speak evil of them or to denigrate their authority, but to honor them as God's appointed officials. Four, we're not to resist them by resorting to any evil or sinful practice. Five, when we do resist them, we need to be treading very, very carefully when considering times to resist the appointed authorities. Resistance is only permissible on the grounds that the authority is undoubtedly disobeying God. A hastily contrived resistance could bring God's judgment upon us rather than the authorities. And six, we're to offer them biblical counsel with a spirit of gentleness and humility in matters where their policies or decisions are in opposition to the Scriptures. Seven, we're to live peaceful and holy lives that God's presence would be magnified on the earth. Friends, these are seven principles. There are many others, but these are seven that give us greater insight into how the Scriptures teach us to interact with governing authorities. They tell us what we should do we cannot, we cannot always control what our governing authorities do, but we can control what we do. Our government leaders are human. Sometimes they will obey God and sometimes they will not. Sometimes they will succeed in governing righteously. and Sometimes they will not. But regardless of their conduct, regardless of their policies, regardless of however they lead our nation, let us always remember what our role is toward them. And above all, I want us to take great hope, great hope, in knowing there is a final government coming, a final leader who will govern in perfect righteousness, peace, and justice, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I know we're not supposed to get political in church. We're not supposed to tell the church members who to vote for. But I'm telling you right now, I want you to vote for that guy. I want you to hope for that guy. Let's wait and hope for the Lord Jesus Christ to come as King of the great and final government on earth. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, Your Word is is clear when it comes to explaining to us how we're to live as citizens in our countries. I pray that, Father, regardless of how we reacted to last Tuesday, I pray that we would follow these biblical principles. They're not to be followed just because we voted for someone or didn't vote for someone. They're to be followed always. They're to be put into practice with each and every authority that comes our way, both local, state, national. Father, help us to show great honor and respect to our authorities. Lord, we know they're human and we know they're going to fail. 
at times. But Lord, help us to show great respect for them, not to speak ill of them. I pray for our new president. I pray, Lord, that you would supply him with wisdom beyond his years. Lord, I pray that you would give him righteous and just thoughts and that those would come forth in righteous and just policies. That he would govern as a man who is governing this nation under your leadership, appointed by you. Lord, uh, protect him, bless his family, help us all as a nation to come under his leadership. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide him as you guide our nation into this uh, precarious future. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.